welcome back to another episode of Dern After Reading. I'm Max, this is Nick. Howdy. Sorry, forgive my crunching. I helped a friend move today, and I feel pretty haggard right now. I feel like I, I look like like a gay roller skate enthusiast in the late 80s who just got off of like a all-day ecstasy thing. Oh, yeah. And now I'm just, like, on the come down. All day, all night. All day, all night. P&P. You ever heard of the Staten Island Ferry? Yes. But do you know what oh, I'm... Oh, Ferry? Do you know what I'm talking about? No. He was a Richard Simmons adjacent man who would wear, like, short shorts, little fairy wings, and he would just roller skate on the Staten Island Ferry, like, all day. Oh. He was just, like, a fixture. fun. I don't know if he was, like, retired, if he had, like, a job. I just heard lore of him. We had a, like, in my little town growing up, a flashy gay roller skate man. Actually, I don't know if he was gay, but um, he was a flashy, stylish kind of... We'd, we'd always play stickball in the courtyard by the school, and sometimes he'd just be there just skating around, doing moves. You know, that's my favorite character in The Sandlot, the older gay man that watches the boys. <laughs> what? You mean Skip? He just hangs out there. Anyway, what are we doing here next? Oh, man, well, we're watching every Laura Dern film. Every one? Every one, all of them. And it's, it's Tate, we're in six months, we got another six months to go, I'd say. Yep, and, and then for the long haul. And then we, then we do a train podcast. Yep, we'll be uh, riding trains indefinitely um, now who, across the country, who, who across will we the be globe. Um, pulling a train on? Oh, wait, is that something else? That's a different... Wait, I think we had different ideas. <laughs> I My idea was the <laughs> orgy podcast. I think you were talking about real trains. That's what you meant by freight hopping. <laughs> yes. Yes, very much. Oh, uh, wow. So, Laura Dern, what's she been up to lately? I don't know. That's uh, usually what you look I, up. I, yeah, I, just, I literally just looked it up while you were talking. Um, well, uh, the civil rights guy died. John Lewis? Yeah, I'm sorry. I, I have a lot of things in my head, Max. <laughs> I can't remember John Lewis's boy. name. Shut up. Uh, Laura Dern posted a picture of an action figure of her from Jurassic Park because she's getting back to work, apparently, on Jurassic World Dominion because apparently they're filming that. Cool. Yeah. Um, and uh, she has an amazing friend. I'm not going to say the friend's name because they didn't pay us. So... <laughs> Yeah, she's, you know, chilling, maxing, relaxing, all cool. By the way, tell Bebo. tell Dern that, like, we haven't gotten a check from her in a while. Oh, yeah, we have not gotten any of the royalties we were promised. Right, this is basically publicity. I mean, ba- it, not basically, this is. This we are is. a Laura Dern-centered podcast. We boiled all of the entertainment industry down to one woman, who hopefully is not named in the Epstein Files. Oh, could that, you imagine no, if she, she went down for us? That'd be we huge. would we'd be at we're at ground zero already. <laughs> we're so set up to cover her story. <laughs> we could oh, be the man. ones. Let let us hope that would be. Let us hope she is a sexual she, predator. <laughs> Laura Dern is in fact a sex predator. Our viewership will go through the roof. We'll get the guest on True and On. Oh, God. I want to be on, um... Uh, what's that radio show that crazy people listen to? Rush Limbaugh? No, I was thinking of, um... 
The alien one. Why is it not coming? Uh, uh, coast to Coast. Yes. We'll be on Coast to Coast. Oh, let's get there. We probably could have a show on Coast to Coast. If it we probably wanted. wouldn't be hard. You just have to make a bullshit. Yeah, we can do that. That's just, literally the whole... Last week that... was literally just bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> this week, however... No, this week we actually did our homework. We mm-hmm. both watched a thing. We did. That's two things amongst us. Two whole things. Should we get into those things? Yeah, why not? Let's do a big turn. What was your big turn this week? I honestly forget. My big turn was a film from 2005 called mm-hmm. the prize winner of defiance ohio oh uh, yes that movie i said i wanted to watch yeah i quite liked it it Good. is it tells the story a based on a true story of evelyn ryan who's mm-hmm. a mother in the late 50s early 60s she's she's got 10 children that's a lot of children it is and she does something I didn't realize was a thing was called contesting that a lot of housewives at the time would do where there were many contests for jingles and slogans and songs and you could write in and sometimes you'd win it'd be a little thing like win a few bucks or sometimes it'd be a big national thing with hundreds of thousands of entrants uh, and you could win $10,000 a trip to Europe you know and and so um, Julianne Moore plays Evelyn Ryan, and she is this housewife, ten children, and she repeatedly does this contesting, and she's really good at it. She's a very smart woman, and this um, causes issues with her husband, an alcoholic played by Woody Harrelson. Ah, oh, famous bald man, Kelly Woody Harrelson. Man. Yes. No, he's got great hair in this. Oh, well... He had good hair on Cheers, too. <laughs> Come so far. God, he was so young, dumb, and full of ambition when he was on Cheers. He was. He was Woody's... He was Coach's pen pal. They would mail each other pens. And and this... Um, I don't know if you're is a Is this a departure? Player. This is a departure. Is this a departure from Cheers? Or could this possibly be the future that he had after Cheers? Oh, uh, you might think so. It's definitely... He is a man on life tilt. For back of a be- lack of a better term, life tilt. Uh, that comes from poker. Being on tilt is when you're you're emotional. You lose a bad hand, and then you play poorly. Um, so the idea of life tilt, I've heard <laughs> used to describe someone who's just nothing's falling their way, Yikes. and they're hurting because of it. That would be uh, Kelly Ryan in the prize winner of Defiance, Ohio. Now, this film was directed by was written. And the directorial feature film debut by Jane Anderson, who we on the pod know as the director of the made-for-TV movie The Baby Dance. Ah, uh, yes. Which I adored for its largely for its nuanced and loving portrayal of people of a poor couple and a wealthy couple, um, sort of influenced by the role that wealth pay- plays on being able to raise a child. Um, where even though there were some characters you might like or not like, that there were no overt villains. Um, And I quite liked that in this film as well, because I think a worse writer, Woody Harrelson, that's such an easy character to make. He's just a piece of shit drunk. (laughs) And she's the woman who's just... She's our hero, and we like her, and he's a complete and total monster. And that's not the case here. Um, 
even though he is horrible too. Like his his actions are horrible. Um, because what they stress is sort of the ways one, the way that consumer culture and sort of this idea that it's almost like you gotta try to win the lottery to even get by for a lot of these families, right? They had ten kids. Um and so there's that challenge of it where these people are trying and they're, they need luck in order to pay their bills, to feed their kids. Um, but also that he himself is very emasculated by the fact that his wife's kind of the breadwinner and he drinks and it gets worse. Um, and, but you see why he struggles with that, like these very real, these feelings that might resonate um, at a time where that, you know, where it would hurt. He's, he's happy for his wife to be successful and happy about things she's doing, but he feels like a complete abject failure when he's spending all the money on alcohol and she's making more money than him, and so then he spends more money on alcohol, and it's a cyclical thing. You know, for somebody who seems to be, like, physically able and, like, I would assume, like, he's the kind of person who could, like, have a job that just, like, you show up to and you make money. It's weird that she has essentially a job in entertainment that she works from home at and she's still making more money than he does. It almost seems like he's kind of a louse. Yeah, I mean, he's definitely, like, he's fucking up. He's 100% fucking up here. Um, And, but it is... It shines a light on sort of on the unpaid labor of housework and child rearing that she, you know, that he has a couple lines where he talks about, you know, easy for you, just get to sit home all day and do whatever you want, which man, 10 kids couldn't be further That's a lot. from the truth. In fact, Jane Anderson uh, only ended up directing this movie because... She was writing she, it. She needed someone to babysit her ten kids, and she thought, if I can make a movie with my ten kids in them, yeah. I'll be there all the time. Um, she was writing it to be directed by Robert Zemeckis. Oh, cool. And he, once it was written, said, I, 20 kids on set, because they have two different sort of time periods, kids of different ages. He's like, I don't want to work with 20 kids on set. <laughs> and it's mostly just the family. You get, like, the milkman, you get Dern, we'll get there. Um, and... The husband, wife, and ten kids. So Robert Zemeckis basically just pulled the same move that, like, the husband that did. He said, I don't want to be around these fucking kids. Yeah. Oh, exactly. <laughs> wow. Um, so what? this movie, it wasn't surprising for me to see it had, like, a 59 on Rotten Tomatoes. It was mixed. Um, because, as we've discussed on here, most of you people are garbage when it comes to enjoying film. Uh, and especially enjoying nuanced film. Um, Me and Max know everything, and you too. all know nothing. Yeah, I want to make that abundantly clear. If I if I haven't already, I've failed. <laughs> we are the opiate of the masses. And I <laughs> we're stand the opiate Anthony of the masses, <laughs> and we're here for you. Um, so I really like this film. We've covered really the the broad strokes of it, but now to get into some of the nitty gritty. So the the introduction of Woody Harrelson drinking, I really liked. Because first you meet him, he's coming home from work, the kids are all in the yard, dad, dad, like, they're happy to see him, he's happy to see them, he's, like, he's really supportive and there for his family in these moments. Um, but then later on, he's, he's listening to the Cleveland Indians game 
um, on the radio in the kitchen, and he's he's got a beer, and he's not too pleased about what's happening, and he well, uh, Max, get off your phone. I, I saw a call from someone I'm staying with for a week and a half. Millennial. Hi, Andy. You're on uh, this episode of Dern After Reading, being recorded as we speak. How are you? You're a shill of a man. <laughs> what's, what's your take on Laura Dern? Okay. I love that nobody can hear. Well, now that Max is done with his phone call, I guess we can continue. Sure. What were we talking about? <laughs> Laura Dern? Laura Dern. Um... The prize winner of Defiance. Oh, oh. So we get this introduction to his drinking where he's listening to the game. He's getting visibly frustrated in the kitchen while the rest of the family is in the living room watching TV. And one of the daughters says to um, her mom, to Julianne Moore, says, I left my spelling book in there. And like she like wants to go in, but knows she, it's like not the time to go in. So that's our introduction is like the, just sort of how the children respond to this. Um, and so then Julianne Moore like sneaks in and waits for him to sort of like turn in a rage and like grabs the spelling book and goes back. Uh, because through this entire movie, she is navigating this life in ways that she's. She needs to do things like that that will go unseen and unrewarded, um, but nevertheless that she knows she needs to do. And a recurring theme through all of this is that she, in spite of this sad life in a lot of ways, this frustrating life, this like this husband that is in many ways very much hurting the family, um, she's happy. And they reflect on that several times throughout the movie. So there's one time where she and Woody have, a, you know, an emotional argument, or not an argument, but a conversation. He says, you know, I, I would just do anything to make sure you're happy. And she says, you don't need to make sure I'm happy. Like, that idea that he has the control to her happiness is, like, laughable to her, and she's very much aware of it. <laughs> um, so she has sort of accepted this life for herself. Mm -hmm. They get into at the beginning that she she worked for a newspaper. She's mm -hmm. obviously very good with words. She's very good at these jingles. Um, and Woody Harrelson was a singer, but then his throat got cut up in a car crash <sighs> and he could no longer be a singer. That's... That's a blues song right there. Exactly. Yeah, you'd think he'd have like a good gravelly, bloody yeah, exactly. voice. Like he could have worked with that, but he didn't have the chops because he was on life till. Um, so she, so she accepts the reality of the situation, in but not in a like a defeated way. She doesn't run from it. She does what she needs to do, and she's like a very arduous, hardworking woman. Um, and has her own genuine happiness from it. Like, that's, that's made clear throughout where she has a joy in what she's doing and a comfort that 
even though it's not her dream life or what she wanted. And, like, her daughter asks her, like, do you regret marrying dad? And she's like, no. Like, this is... How, how old of a daughter says that? I'm curious. Um, a daughter, like a teenage daughter. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> for some reason, I imagine the eight-year-old who asked for the spelling book to right. being like, are you sad you married dad? Well, you feel like some of them will, because they're, like, they're all, you know, they have front row seats to this. Um, in fact, kind of the most intense scene would be when she gets the milk and it's already high tension because they don't have enough money for the milk and the milkman doesn't, you know, want to keep, uh, letting them pay on credit and Woody Harrelson, like, grabs her and he's not trying to hurt her in this moment, but, um, she falls over and trips and all 12 jars of milk for the week shatter and she's bleeding she cuts up her wrists really bad damn um and you see this the blood and the milk kind of this pink pouring down into into like the grate on the floor and the milkman just wanted to deliver some milk he is not here to watch this oh he left he oh. doesn't give a shit. Oh, he's gone. The milkman? Okay. No. The milkman is... He delivers milk, and he has sex with lonely housewives. And yes. that's what the milkman does. Yeah, and so she doesn't... She's not lonely. Or she doesn't have time because, to fuck the milkman. Oh, she's got ten I thought kids. she was fucking the milkman. No wonder she has ten, ten kids. kids. She has ten kids because she's fucking the milkman. Um, <laughs> so one, one very interesting stylistic choice with this film is that she'll break the fourth wall and sort of narrate this to us. And sometimes it'll get sort of fantastical, where we'll have sort of 50s, she'll be talking about contesting and these 50s contests. I, I'm sorry, I'll, you're saying these words and all I'm hearing is the carousel of progress. Yeah, basically. Like the dad, like, oh, it's we got all the new latest greatest gadgets, like an icebox that'll keep cold for 12 whole days. Well, that's a big part of it. And so, I love that aesthetic. so she'll turn and look, and look to the camera and tell us directly. And I read an interview with Jane Anderson about the film, and she chose to do that because she was watching all of these old commercials from like the fifties and sixties, and that was they were very like primitive, and that was what you do. You have a sort of housewife character. And she'd, like, turn and face the camera, like, while she's, like, cleaning her dishes or whatever. And um, she said she felt like this character was so lonely besides, you know, it was just family, just in the house, that um, it wouldn't make sense. It wouldn't be realistic for this to be, like, a friend that she's sharing these things with. So she made it almost like this 50s-style commercial, direct-to-camera to, like, describe the situation to the viewer. Interesting. And then throughout, there are these three women who, like, sing jingles as sort of background fairies, kind of, which was another thing she took directly from mm. these old commercials. Not to play the race card, but were they, like, three black women with, like, big no. hair and dresses? No, okay. they were... No, they I was were... imagining, like, the background singers from, like... I guess hairspray is what I'm thinking of. Yeah. But like the like the Ronettes or like no, that no, kind no. of. These group. were these were housewives, which ah. means to play the race card, they were white. <laughs> white women. Okay. Uh, there were white women in dresses in the fifties and they were styled on these women in commercials who sometimes would be an almost like a miniature fairy like on like with the dish soap person, like a giant 
dish soap, and Jane Anderson noted that it was this real, like, dehumanization um, and control over these women. I do have two quick questions. Please. Were any of the slogans or jingles in the movie real ones? I don't know, but... uh, Dr. Pepper is the big one she won. I assume right, you don't just include that if... I assume that was a sponsorship. I don't know if the real Evelyn Ryan, that was... If it was actually a Dr. Pepper jingle. Okay. The other question. I This this is a more research-based question, so if you don't know it, it's fine. Do you know of any like slogans we still have today that originated from like contesting and stuff like that? I like, don't. Are there like, crazy big... like buy the world a Coke. I know that one didn't come from that kind of thing, but like... Right. I don't, but that's a good question. Um, But I will get into um, a little more of the contesting specifics by way of the introduction of Laura Dern. Laura Dern. So... We love her. She get we do here. Dern after reading. You should listen. (laughs) We're fans. (laughs) So she... uh, Julianne Moore gets a call, or rather gets a letter from another... Housewife, played by Laura Dern, in um, she is also a contester, and she says, "I got your address." It's very this fun thing where they can submit. You can only submit one per person, mm-hmm. but they all submit them on behalf of their children, which is ah. like a totally legal and known thing you could do. Yeah. So Laura Dern writes this letter like, "I see you are the mother of sixteen-year-old Bruce who won this contest." Like, my 13-year-old daughter, in fact, got second place. (laughs) Uh, I don't know if someone like you, Bruce, would be uh, interested in joining me and some other contesters, but perhaps you could extend the invitation to your mother. So it's like... um, And they're called... She has a whole group, this sort of women's group of contesters. She has a little little sweatshop of creative writers. No, no, no. These are all... That's the children. That's that's the children. Because their little fingers can pick through the coal. (laughs) Pick through the words better. (laughs) Pick through the alphabet. They can get Um, in the typewriter and fix it. Dern runs, uh, she has a group called the Affidaisies, which is a a lovely group of contesters. And um, Julianne Moore, Evelyn, really wants to go. She sees, she, in this letter, she feels a kindred spirit in ways she has none of in her life. She's a very intelligent woman. She has no one to share that with. Um, She never, you know, her role is written. She's a housewife. And so she really wants to go. And ultimately, they're about to. But then one of her sons, they're all excited because mom's about to take a big trip 85 miles away, which would be like the biggest trip. That's probably the furthest she'd ever left her her house. Yeah. and one of her sons is like, Mom, I got you this. And he dumps out like a burlap bag filled with cut with tulips, but just tulip bulb, like the heads <laughs> cut from neighbors' yards. Oh my God. And it's very funny because it's like this, oh, you fucked up so bad kid moment. But it's also beautiful, and there's just this like entire duffel bag, God. burlap sack, just filled that, with tulip That feels bulb, like such heads. a Dennis the Menace joke. Yeah, that's really good. Very much, and it was taken. So this was all taken from. Was based on a memoir of one of the da- daughters, hmm. and that um, that was one where Jane Anderson read that and was like, "Yes, that will be in the movie, absolutely." Um, so then, like two years later, three years later. She finally gets to 
go to the Affidaisies. And the car breaks down on the way, um, but they get it fixed, and they make it there. And you can tell just that it took years for her to go from learning about this to traveling 85 miles on a Saturday because her husband wouldn't take her because that was his one day off, and he she can't drive. And, you know, all these things line up where even something that now feels trivial for a lot of people was impossible for years and, like, and would be something she desperately wanted to do. Um, but so then we get the Affidaisies, and they're a group of housewives, of white housewives, and they share, um, they share their own jingles and you know contest entries and things like that they critique each other but it's also a space where they can recognize themselves for all the work they do raising their children and such um because it's clear that there there is no other space for that and this whole time they're just all like cranked up on diet pills right yeah it's implied yeah well they that was one of the contests win win a lifetime supply of amphetamines (laughs) Ah, oh, the good old days. Now, to be young again. To be young again. <laughs> <laughs> they do have, they have one woman, one of the housewives is in an iron lung. Are you familiar with an iron I'm lung? I'm very familiar. Yeah. Actually, the iron lung at the Mütter Museum is finally on display. It's oh, been in the basement for like 12 you, years. Can you climb on in? I don't think they like when people do that, but I know uh, Mike Rowe from Dirty Jobs has, cl- has been inside of it. Oh, okay. Of that particular one? Yes. Also, right. he's a corporate chill for the Koch brothers. He but is, but also he is a professionally trained opera singer. Really? Yeah, he trained at the Baltimore Opera with Will Ferrell, and they were in an opera together. That's not very dirty. Hey man, that you gotta start somewhere. Not a dirty job. He was an opera singer. Then mad. he did dirty jobs, and now he just narrates Deadliest Catch, I guess. Yeah. And um, tells people that unions are bad. Yeah, he, uh, I'm surprised. I used to work at a Sam's Club, so about once a month they would make me watch the Walmart anti union videos. Oh, fun. I'm really shocked he never did any. Yeah, he's I done I would almost those... enjoy seeing them, seeing yeah. like a, a, a minor celebrity doing anti. Like Adam Savage. Use your guy. I'll send you some stuff. <laughs> oh, please do. Um, so, so oh, the iron lung. Oh yeah. So one of the one of the women is in an iron lung, and it's painted yellow and has like flowers painted on it. And Laura Dern introduces uh, Evelyn to her, and she's, she's like, "No, does she look like a big old corn on the cob?" <laughs> Which is very fun. Oh man. Um. So, they, oh, and to get at the, sort of the severity of this and what this, what this all means for these women, um, beyond sort of this shared interest, is there's this one, the Dr. Pepper contest, and it's a big one, and Laura Dern says to Evelyn, says, I got one, one last entry for you, like, you know, places, I guess you'd pick them up at the store, it would come with the purchase, and... You know, if you didn't have it, you couldn't enter. And so she's like, I have, there's one left for you. And she's like, no, you take it. She says, you have more kids than I do. You take it. Which is like, this is really about, like, survival. This is, this is a real job. And it's just, and it's really just, even despite the work it takes to be able to do this well, is more about, you know, the chance at payment for all the other work, for the raising children and cooking food and cleaning the home and all this work that they do that goes unnoticed. 
Um, so, so, was it I'm a Pepper? It was not, in Damn. fact. No, they weren't. They weren't. That type of slogan didn't exist yet. I okay. don't believe. They were like rhymes. It would be like complete the limerick. There was one where the contest, it was for a sandwich, and it was the contest they showed the commercial was like, we'll sing the song and you've got to fill in the blanks. And it was like, dum da dum da dum dum sandwich. And it was for a big submarine sandwich. And they do this fun um, scene where they watch that and she and Woody trade lines where she has like really good ones that would be used in the ad and then he's like I'm a miserable piece of shit and I'm emasculated sandwich and it was very cute um stylistically like the motifs of like the 50s style are all very fun and they do show her happiness and so Jane Anderson said about this film it has two themes one a woman of independent happiness. And that phrase is so simple, but means so much. And it captures what Julianne Moore is able to convey. Because Julianne Moore, as much as I love Dern, I think Julianne Moore is in a, a top, top echelon. She of Especially to capture that kind of nuance and mixed emotion um, that this movie offers. is a fantastic performance. And the other theme is pain is inevitable but suffering is optional and, you know it's very buddhist it's like yeah. straight from buddhism but interesting that's something that our protagonist embodies when she uh you know accepts the life she has and you know understands that there are limits and it's not the one she would have chosen but nonetheless embraces the good things in it and the opportunities in it and like so she takes true joy out of winning a shopping spree and getting her family like caviar and <laughs> um, and shrimp cocktail and takes true joy in just having ten children and being able to raise them all. Um, and so as far as like where the plot of the movie goes, it's a, kind of exactly where you'd think. Um, it turns out that Woody had opened up a second mortgage that is coming due, Whew. and the last chance for them to possibly salvage the house is the Dr. Pepper, if she wins that contest. Um, and she does. <gasps> Yay! They save the community but center. W- one of the daughters, the tough, T-F-F. No, she doesn't. Drowns in Dr. Pepper. Drowns uh, in Dr. Pepper. The Dr. Pepper truck coincidentally hits her when they're dropping off the big check. Mm-hmm. <laughs> then you're getting two big checks from Dr. Pepper, am I right? No, their lawyers would never, never yeah, let them yeah. give that second one up. Jesus. Um, Dr. Pepper actually countersued the family for emotional distress for the driver. Ah, by yes, By him murdering their child. Um, so tough, one of the daughters is still... She she doesn't see this as a happy ending because she knows this close to poverty life will continue and dad's drinking will continue and all that. Um, so she runs away with the Dr. Pepper guy. She runs away <laughs> with the Dr. Pepper guy. They pick up the milkman. They start a commune. They're a hot treble. Out, just outside of Defiance, Ohio, they're indeed a thrup. One of the first to be labeled as such, incidentally. Which came from her mother's slogan. 
It was a little jingle that said, Most of us are just a couple, but you and Dr. Pepper Guy and Milkman are a throuple. That was really good off the top of your head. We should be on Who's Line. <laughs> Thank you. Um, but the reason I bring up Tuff, this daughter, is because she's the one who wrote this book. And so then we get this epilogue where Woody Harrelson passes away Aww. and it notes that he did save up um, all of his pension money in a secret account uh, for his wife so she no longer had to work when that happened. That's good. And then she passes away and we see the grown adult children who in fact are these real children as grown adults in the house, which I don't know if it's the actual house or just the set house, Um, but going through her belongings and sort of this epilogue about how each of them did great things and yeah so it was quite lovely quite nice um it's a good loving family drama it highlights um these real challenges i think in a very important way i think to frame it there are you know i think at this point any movie from the 50s about a housewife deals with these themes in some way, shape, or form. It's not super uncommon. Um, In fact, wasn't Julianne Moore in that one where she was a lesbian? I'll have to look into that. Um, A League of Their Own? (laughs) Not Julianne Moore. Oh, yeah. Rosie O'Donnell. Was it Madonna? Madonna. Not Julianne Moore, Madonna. What a weird movie. (laughs) Such a good movie. Fucking Madonna's in that movie. (laughs) But the, Madonna's in a bunch of movies back then. Yeah, whatever. She's in Four Rooms, the best Madonna's thing that Tarantino ever got his hands on. Um, but this, for this theme, this film to approach that theme from like the contesting aspect, which is like a novel but very real part of a lot of women like this, their lives, um, and the sort of the financial necessity attached to that. And how it sort of relates to the unpaid labor of just being a housewife, I thought was a very good focus and sort of a novel focus and an important one. So I quite liked it. Jane Anderson, you're two for two with me. And uh, I guess we really learned if you have an alcoholic father, you can either write a bittersweet story about Defiance, Ohio, or Mary Poppins. <laughs> and that's the tea. <laughs> Her father died of consumption in Australia. Oh. Yeah. I didn't know they had that down there. Which, what is consumption? I don't know, because I, doesn't it mean either drinking yourself to death or tuberculosis? I think it's tuberculosis. I don't know. He drank a lot. He was coughing up blood. Yes. I think they were associated with each other, because if you drank, you were a bad person, and only bad people got tuberculosis. Yeah. Bad people being in air quotes that I realize our listening audience can't see. Yeah, let's let's like. I think we should stand by yeah, that. If you have really TB, you're bad. I mean, if you have TB these days, you're probably up to some stuff. Yeah, don't, you're, you don't just get it on the bus. We know what you did. You with a sheep? Come on, guy. Oh man, Nick, good movie. I'm gonna check that out. Yeah, what's between your derns? <sighs> man, between my derns, it's been a hectic week, but I've been. Re um, evaluating my VHS collection, been adding some things, subtracting some things, orga- organizing, and I rewatched one of my favorite queer movies. It is I try not to watch it too often because I don't want to like I don't want to lose my enjoyment of it. 
It's like a fine wine. Um, Hedwig and the Angry Inch. Actually never seen it. Oh, buddy, it's very, very good. Oh, I love it. It's so interesting the way they use, I mean, like, all the music in it is original, but then also, like, they dip into, like, Lou Reed and David Bowie and all of, like, the sexually ambiguous people that would have inspired both Hedwig and the writer uh, Michael Cameron, wait, John Michael Cameron, something like that, he has a three-part name, but it's just a really cool movie, and it's, like, about stardom and transsexuality and, like, communism a little bit, because they lead, they... They start, Hedwig basically starts seeing a U.S. Army person. They live in West Germany at the time, when the wall was still up. And they basically convert to be a woman so they can get married and leave to America, where the army guy eventually dumps her. And, like, he, she's sitting in a trailer, just, like, bereaved, and she's watching TV, and she sees that the wall fell, which is the reason she left anyway. So it's just a lot of very angsty, like, punk rock stuff. And they're doing this... To- they, Hedwig, um, was seeing somebody who they basically trained to be a rock star, and then they stole all their stuff and left, and, like, st- toured, like, became a huge name. So Hedwig is, like, touring the country, playing, like, little crappy venues next to all the big venues that, um, Tommy Gnosis, their old partner, is playing. So they're playing, like, a, like, a salad bar in, like, Indiana, and, like, a mall and stuff. But yeah, I feel like I'm not doing it much justice. But it's a very good movie, a lot of good music. Like, real, like, they actually play it. A lot of very good outfits. A lot of good jokes. All in all, it's a movie. You should see it. Okay. Also, I've been watching some British television. A little show called Taskmaster, which is the most British thing I've ever seen in my whole life. It's five comedians, and they have to do certain tasks that the host of the show gives to them. And they're judged on either how well they do it, how quick they do it, or some combination of the two. Like, um, one of the tasks is just a room with nothing in it but a watermelon, and it says, eat the most watermelon you can in one minute. The time starts now. And it's so funny. Like, some people, like, went to get a knife and came back and cut it. One guy just smashed it on the ground and just started shoving it in his mouth. And it's just, it's real neat. It's like a very... They have, like, little series, so it's maybe, like, five episodes with the same comedians, then they'll do five other comedians, and so on and so forth. And it's always, like, usually, like, three younger white guys, a person of color, and a woman. But, yeah. It's it's, very specific. It is. It it seems like that's the same formula they do over (laughs) and over. But it's a really good show. You should check it out. It's free on YouTube. It's every British comedian is really funny. I love them. I've looked into a lot of them after this now. Like, I knew their faces a little bit. I'm, like, looking into their work and all that. It's definitely a no, good jumping off point if you've ever wanted to get into British television, which I've been wanting to for years because it seems like such a fun world. We all know that's on a lot of our bucket lists. And now, to in these uncertain in, times... To get into British television? Yes. I remember when I got the diagnosis, I pulled my doctor aside and said, Doc, will I have enough time? Said, time for what, young man? Said, to get into British television. Uh is it my turn? Yes, you exhausted me with your little your little audio play oh, there. Oh, you loved it. I did. You loved um, every second. So what's between your turns, Max? Um, mine's... Uh, I've been watching a lot of YouTube. And I've been watching... I've been getting into Hot Ones. Ooh, interesting. Which I had, I had known about this. So for those who are unaware, Hot Ones is a YouTube show. 
uh, where people are interviewed while they eat increasingly spicy hot wings. And I thought that sounded like a dumb conceit and not something I was especially interested in. It just sounded like something that like a like a PR firm might have created. You know, it sounds like it because it, it could be terrible, right? That just that concept does not make something good. Um, but my friend insisted, no, check it out. I think you'd really like it. And I do in large part because uh, the host, Sean Evans, asks questions that are intriguing and well-researched and enjoyable for the person. Interesting. And that, when you're, like, on a press tour, right, they all, you know, they all did get this through their agent or whatever, and they don't really know what they're getting into. And it's very cool because I'd say most of them, at some point, they'll, they'll ask, they'll say, like, that's a really good question. Or like, how'd you, how'd you find out about that? Like, they're, and, and to see them... I love anything that allows celebrities to break the the space of what celebrity is. Yeah. And that also makes for the most interesting ones are the ones where people recognize they can like share their their thoughts and feelings in ways that aren't like how you would for a you know, a regular daytime television interview. And that's been an absolute treat, and someone I just, I absolutely adore, I am now a huge fan of, because I've, I've never heard her speak um, beyond her music, and that would be Billie Eilish. Ah, oh, don't even know her. William Eilish. I know one song by William Eilish. Um, and so, like, I know what she looks like, and I knew she was kind of this, like, very young, kind of edgy, like, really um, stylistically in intimidating for lack of a better word it's something about a young woman in large clothing intimidates me yeah like if i saw a teenager wearing like the um um david byrne suit i'd run <laughs> if i saw a teenage girl wearing the david byrne suit i would cross the I know, street it's you're too cool than i'd ever be and that's what that's what i got from her interview is i'm always endlessly impressed and a little bit jealous of people who just have this supreme comfort in what they're saying and it's it's almost no filter but it's not no filter like i'm not listening it's that no part of me is worried about how you will think my response will come out and it's a comfort that i think a lot of younger generation has i think by virtue of i don't know like the comfort of seeing different things on the internet i think it's a it's something that a lot of when I meet people who grew up um, poor in the hood, I think there's much less of a filter. But I grew up in the sort of upper middle class town where that was like, it's still hard for me to break that it feels like you're always mm, too aware of how you're presenting yourself and it leads to this lack of confidence that I think is so ubiquitous that there are like entire neighborhoods where you're very much the exception of the rule if you can comfortably, confidently say how you're feeling and Billie Eilish does that and she's also very funny so it was just like it was thoroughly impressive um that's been a joy and I've been watching a lot of random old SNL or new SNL but like they're all on YouTube so I'll just like click one and end up just watching whatever the playlist throws at me um I don't know if you were you're a big SNL fan 
I've definitely done a lot of dabbling. I don't. I haven't really watched the new stuff lately, just because I don't have cable. Sure. Well, YouTube. Just it's on true. YouTube. I definitely like whenever somebody I care about hosts, I will definitely try the next day to go and see like the big things. Like mm-hmm. John Mulaney, I always hit his and sure. stuff like that. But there was definitely a stretch of like maybe four years where I religiously would always just Saturday night watch the new one. Yeah. Like, what was that? Was in, like, like Tina Fey. It was so when I was just finishing Andy up Sandberg high too. school. Oh, so so like Andy Samberg was de- shut up. Andy Samberg was definitely there. I de- I was there for the transition of the um, news from um, what's his face Seth Seth Myers Seth Myers to the two guys that do it now Michael Che and Colin Jost. Yes. Which briefly I recently learned um, the the one person who I always liked but never really focused on as like a star but now that I've watched a bunch recently I'm like oh she is incredible um, because I think obviously Kate McKinnon was so unbelievable true but I but realizing now that she kind of overshadowed Cecily Strong who Ooh, is fantastically Cecily. good never breaks has such a, a wonderful range of characters um and and often will be not the straight man but sort of the setup man for the you know the punchline character in a sketch um and always just does such a knockout job and there was a brief period where it was she and michael che on weekend update and i'm glad that didn't stick because it would have meant she couldn't shove to weekend update as the drunk girl you wish you hadn't started a conversation oh, God, with that a is, party. That might actually be one of my favorite reoccurring characters she does. Have you ever seen the... Um, I was also really into Drunk Uncle back when What's His Face was on. so good. God, so funny. One I've only recently discovered, but uh, is a favorite reoccurring segment. Have you seen the... Um, it's like, high school talk show. It's Cecily Strong as a high yes. schooler and Amy Bryant. And Cecily Strong always says something like, she's like, my boyfriend's crazy. And it's revealed that her boyfriend is like a creepy old man. And she's like a high schooler. She's like, you look, watch me. Watch me eat a sandwich. And we'll stare from his limousine looking at his opera glasses from across the street. My boyfriend's crazy. It's such, it's such a pretty fucked up, like, recurring joke that doesn't fit with anything else in the sketch that I... I absolutely that, adore it. That's fantastic. Yeah, that's Madeiran's. Uh, speaking of SNL, oh, I've got a few SNL alum in my little dern this week. Oh, really? I Will Forte. Will Forte. I also have Kirsten Wig. So here we go. Um, I watched an episode of The Last Man on Earth, which I had never seen the show before. I know it's basically the premise is Will Forte is the last man on Earth, and he's just like living a crazy, you know how a 30-ish year old man would live if he was last man. He's like stealing Van Gogh's and living in the White House and all that bullshit. But this episode, I've, as I've never seen the series, I imagine this episode is a departure from the main story because it does not feature Will Forte or any of the main characters at all. Oh. It, um, is like a, it's like definitely a look back at a the beginning of a viral pandemic, which is fascinating because it very much mirrors what's happening right now to a point that it's almost creepy. And this cool. aired in 2014, which was like... Eight years ago? I don't know, math. Seven? Four? Six. Six. Six years. Three That's crazy. wrong years. Shut up. So, we start with, um, Kirsten Wig is, like, at, like, a... She... To describe her character, she's, like, a rich woman who I wouldn't say is ditzy, but is, like, so rich that she can be wrong and most of the time no one will correct her. Sure. And she definitely is, like, a very, like... I don't want to use the word Karen, but, like, 
she just like she is a level of affluent where she can get what she wants and if she doesn't she will make a scene about it she sounds like the um, the woman on unbreakable kimmy schmidt i've not seen oh. much of unbreakable kimmy schmidt unfortunately that's deeply sad um but similar characters go yeah. on anyway so she's like, like this charity thing and she's talking and like she says a word that's not real and laura dern like is in the audience and they're like it's clear that there's some ambivalence mainly from her laura dern's just like a person who isn't crazy <laughs> who isn't like a crazy self-centered rich weirdo and so they do this like little like out loud fight thing and laura dern's just like that's not a word and she's like well you're not a word and they have this little thing and then um this guy like passes out in the audience and he's like coughing up blood and Kirsten Wiig is like, oh, Jerry's just trying to make this about himself. And they, like, carry him away because he's clearly <laughs> very ill. And it it kind of has vibes of, like, the cask of red, the red, red, mask of the red death. Because, like, it's definitely that, the like... mask, not the cask. You nah, gotta get your pose straight. Sorry. But, like, um, it's definitely that, like, rich people trying to avoid the plague thing. And, like, you see, like, they are eating her and her husband, who is, I don't remember his name, but he definitely, he plays, like, a bunch of, like villain men actually i have it right here um timothy v timothy murphy get out of here I'm... timothy murphy yeah he was in um he, that, he was the national treasure villain okay he was in mcgruber which is a, another Little snl Forte. related thing so yeah basically villain guy and they're having breakfast so they um they ask their ele- they, they have an alexa but it's another word because they can't wor- use alexa and i forget what it was and she's just like flooding will continue in tennessee this week and the pandemic grows and they're like hmm, that's a bummer tell us a joke huh. and it's some dumb joke and then like we see kirsten wig in her limo out like i don't care wig with two eyes she's out in her limo and she just sees like a woman walking wearing a mask and then like a kid with a mask and then a dog with a mask and she looks at her dog and covers its eyes <laughs> and then like we and then like time passes clearly everything is getting much worse and we cut to like a grocery store in like full essentially what right now would be if the plague was like coughing up blood and dying really quick sure and, like, the grocery store's just dark, barren, and she's wearing, like, trash bags and goggles and a mask, and she's pushing it around, and she sees Laura Dern with just a bag of dog food. And, um, Kirsten is like, oh, you have a dog? And she's like, no. And then they talk about, um, like, um, Laura Dern is like, oh, I, me and my husband, we got a bunker, so we're gonna go there. And then Kirsten Wig leaves, and she breaks up with the dog food and starts shoving it in her mouth real quick and eating it, which is kind of fun. Huh. And then, uh... Basically, Wait, Dern does that? Yeah. Oh, that is fun. And I think, like, Dern... It'll come, come into play later that Dern is a dog person, and Kirsten is a cat person. So, basically, um, Kirsten Wink goes home, and her husband has it, and is like, you should probably leave, because you'll get it. And then she goes to Laura Dern's house and sees that Laura Dern is dead. She's lying face down on her bed, wearing some very nice pajamas that almost look like the one she was repping on Instagram a oh, few nice. months ago. Maybe they were. Who knows? Anyway, so Kirsten Wiig steals the pass to the bunker and then goes there and brings Laura Dern's dog because she feels bad. So oh. she's in this bunker and she's walking around this bunker, which looks like a, a house nicer than I will ever own. And she's literally just complaining about everything. She's like, oh, what a nice master bedroom. She said jokingly. 
And she, like, refried beans? Gross. Why didn't they fry them right the first time? She walks up to a wall of machine guns and just says, ugh, gross. Like, she's just (laughs) being such a rich bitch about it, and it kind of upset me, but, you know. And then she's, like, you know, she's having dinner, she's talking to the dog, and be like, it's gonna be fine. And then, like, one year passes, and she's still in there, and she's, like, trying to get the dog to talk. She just looks at the dog and goes, milk. (laughs) Milk. You're not even trying. Just say it. Milk. And she just, like, develops a very strong drinking problem. Like, she just looks like an alcoholic starlet at one point. She's, like, wearing a tennis outfit and just drinking vodka straight out of the bottle. It's absolute vodka. You can tell. She's just chugging it. Like, a very, um, like, 1960s, like, Marilyn Monroe off the deep end kind of vibe. And she's just fighting with this dog like crazy. And then finally, at one point, she, um, just, she goes to the, the dog, like, chews her dress because she taunts it with food. She's like, you want this food? Well, you're not going to eat it. It's cat food. And then she's eating it instead. And she, she goes up to the bunker door and is like, if you want out, you can leave. And she's doing this whole thing. And obviously she doesn't want it to leave, but she's like doing what you would do to a child. And then it just runs away anyway. And she's really upset. And then she has this drone she can fly around to see like, um, to just look around. And she finds these people. And um, then she decides to leave the bunker. And that's the end of the episode. Oh. But yeah, so Laura Dern dies. And, uh... Um, Not the most common outcome Oh, the, the thing with the dog and the cat is, at one point she's in the bunker and she takes the wedding photo of Laura Dern down and puts hers up. And she's like, you were a cat person who ate dog food. Now I'm a dog person eating cat food. <laughs> Funny how that goes. And that's the whole episode. And it was really fun. I like. I know it was definitely a departure from the main story, but mm-hmm. it was interesting. I'm glad I saw it. It was a good time. And uh, I guess what I learned from Dern is um, in a pandemic, it's best to stock up on everything and not eat dog food. Because you'll die in your nice pajamas. Yeah. I learned... I learned from Dern that... Um, it's worth the effort to uh, to find like-minded people uh, who interest you and uh, be there for them. You, you didn't learn to do a dollop with Daisy? I did not. Darn, you didn't buy the world a Coke? Nope. What else you got? I was trying to think what's, earlier what's of a long seen? line of like slogans <laughs> I could throw at you, but I'm, I'm running out already. You can't have only one. Um... I don't know any that, uh Scrubbing bubbles. Scrubs, scrubs. bubbles. Yeah. Um, <sighs> gonna get you a sweet automotive deal. It's East Hills. Auto Mart. Wait, I don't even remember the slogan. Yeah, but I, <laughs> but I get it. You know what I'm yeah. saying, though, right? 1-800-CONTACTS. Stanley Steamer does carpet, carpet cleaner. cleaner. The can-can sale for Weiss. Oh my god. The That's whoever. See, oh, it's Weiss? For me, it was ShopRite. Oh, was no, no, you're right. It was ShopRite. I just imagine, like, the Mad Men reboot where, like, Don is just dying of cancer. And he, he his doctor says he can't drink anymore, but he still does. And the last thing he writes before he croaks is the can-can jingle. <laughs> oh, wow. And he sees it on TV, and that's his, like, last catharsis. He's just like, oh, I did it now kids hate him. a happy man. Yeah, <laughs> just completely alone in the world. Uh, I really do spend some time thinking about, like, what happens after the series. I only made it through, like, season two, so I don't know where to yeah. go with well, it. Well, uh, 
You missed when Peggy shot the president. Oh, she yeah, did? she killed Kennedy. It's crazy. Yeah, she wanted to impress, um... What, the Pete. one? Pete! Oh, God, he really... His hairline just... Shoots back, and I don't think that's natural. I think they do it, yeah. Which is oh, funny yeah, that, like, as being part that. of that show, he had to get progressively receded hairlines. Oh <laughs> uh, well, what else do we have to do today, Max? Um, we like now in this particular yeah, block do we, of time. Do we have anything else we need to talk about on this episode? On this episode, I don't know, but we'll be coming back with another one. Oh, we have a special surprise for next week. Yeah. Um. I don't think we should say it, but we're, oh. we're going to the island. We're, yep. We're going back to the future. Oh. We're going to watch all three. No, yep. we're doing something and else. And we're going to, we actually, Nick re-spliced uh, Laura Dern into the movies. I Over did. Leah Thompson. It took some doing, and it doesn't look great. But no, it looks terrible. Hey, man, whatever, whatever gets you off. That's what Grandma always said. Yep. Grandma was a sex fiend. She was, and you know, good for her. She had four kids. Yeah, and she was using it to pay the bills. Tom L. Yeah, four kids. No. <laughs> yeah. Rest in power, Grandma. Oh, yeah, she was a heck of a person. She would wear this... She wore a lot of sweat clothing. One year for Thanksgiving, it might have been like the second one, like her second to last one before she died. She wore a full purple sweatsuit. Oh, hell yeah. Purple sweatpants. Big chunky sneakers. Yeah, I know purple what grandmas sweatshirt. are. God. They dress like Kim Jong-il. It's great. <laughs> she looked like Grimace. It was fun. <laughs> oh, just a gaunt little Grimace woman. Mm-hmm. Uh, well. Until we meet again. Until we meet again. Let's go get pastrami sandwiches. When the moon hits your eye like No, I was thinking of the will 